Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life bonus content. It is the end of the year, and at the end of the year, people tend to look back on the year that has gone by and assess things, see how they're doing, see what happened, think about the events that have occurred over the course of it. And I am doing this show about how I interact with music and art, so I figured that I would do that also. Uh, it seems like the sort of thing to do at the tail end of December. So I'm going to get on it. It was a fairly eventful year. All around, for me and for just the world in general. But we're going to keep it to, for me, here. Because it is not my mandate to discuss the world in general. So, let's see how I interacted with music in 2017. In January, back in January, we saw, Chelsea and I saw Blue Rodeo play. Blue Rodeo, if you're not from Canada, is an alt-country band up here and a goddamn national treasure. They are delightful live. They are delightful in the studio. Lost Together is the most beautiful song that's ever been written, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. And they were just tremendous to see. I would happily see them again at any point. And I probably will, because they are Canadian, and they are probably coming back to town at some point soon. In April, we went to two shows, Chelsea and I. We went to Weezer, uh, who, for dudes of a certain age, the first Weezer record was almost mandatory. If you lived in the suburbs of a certain upbringing and you didn't own it already, somebody would eventually just gift you one. That's how omnipresent it was. It was everywhere and a huge part of my life growing up, and it was great fun to see them. We went out with uh, Jen and Tom, our friends, and just a tremendous show. I completely blew out my voice, screaming along. And then later in the month, we saw James Marsters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Runaways play an acoustic blues show as part of Calgary Expo. And James Marsters is a pretty good acoustic blues guy, in addition to his acting. I went into it with no expectations, and I wound up being really impressed. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then in May, my lung collapsed, and I wound up spending three weeks in a hospital bed with two tubes in my side, draining 11 liters of viscous brown fluid from my chest cavity that was not supposed to be there. And the only music that I had to listen to was the new Paul Weller record, A Kind Revolution, because I had purchased it the Friday previous to my lung collapsing and had deleted everything else off my device. So it was the only album I had access to for a number of days, and I wound up just listening the hell out of it. On the upside, it's really good. This year was the 40th anniversary of Paul Weller's first album with The Jam, and he is still absolutely an artist that is worth checking out. It's very groovy. It's very... It's a very traditionally-minded rock record, and I really got a lot out of it. It was, it was fun to listen to over and over again. During this time, I did miss The Shins. We had tickets, and Chelsea wound up going with, I think, Liv, but obviously I was requiring around-the-clock uh, medical surveillance 
to make sure that I did not die. So I could not go to that gig. But I didn't die, so that's quite good. And I did recover in time to see Ryan Adams play in June, which is great. I have loved that dude since Heartbreaker. My friend Billy and I had a weird obsession with Ryan Adams back when we were both working at Jubilations. We would definitely scream at each other, I'm as lonely as monkeys taught to destroy everything they enjoy apropos of nothing. And it was fantastic to finally connect with him in a live venue. And I'm really pleased that I recovered. I mean, I'm pleased that I recovered at all, but I'm pleased especially that I recovered in time to catch that show. He was, he was a lot of fun to watch. Then in July, we saw the most Canadian concert uh, in the history of Canadian concerts as part of the Calgary Stampede. Chelsea and I went out to catch Stephen Page opening for Trooper, opening for Sloan, opening for Tom Cochran. And for the record, Stephen Page is still killing it. He is one of the most distinctive voices in rock, and his solo material is well worth checking out. We did miss Trooper. It's a very long day, obviously. It wound up being eight hours, and we needed some time to go eat some food, basically. And of the four, they were the ones that we were the least interested in seeing. Trooper are fine. Trooper are great. But of the four, something had to be missed, and that's what we picked. And we got back in time for Sloan. Sloan, again, are a damn national treasure. I catch them every time that they come to town, and they are never not great live. I mean, I'm going to assume the majority of the people listening to this know who Sloan are. They are as good live as you think. You have probably seen them. I know that I have. It was just a fantastic, fun festival atmosphere for them to play in. And by the time Tom Cochran came around, we were a little bit burned out by the length of the day, I think, but still a delight to see him. Mad Mad World was the first record that I ever bought with my own money. And it was great to see him play it live, and he 100% still has it. It was, a, it was a great show and a really good day. August was very busy for us concert-wise. We saw Echo and the Bunnymen at the beginning of the month. 80s, gothy, new wave kind of an affair. I had caught them once previously when Sue and I were in the UK. And it was just one of the best shows that I'd ever seen, and I had to catch them again, and I really was looking forward to sharing them with Chelsea. And they very much delivered on everything that I could have asked them to. I'm given to understand that they have a new record coming out in the new year, and I am looking forward to it a lot. Their late period material is as good as the material that they were doing at the time. They've grown into their sound, I think, better than I thought thought that a band like that would, if that makes any sense. And they were tremendous to see. And then at the tail end of the month, we saw the Decemberists followed shortly thereafter by Spoon, and both were great gigs. The Decemberists are always weird and really interesting to follow. There's a lot to unpack to their music, and it trans I didn't know how it was going to translate live, but it wound up translating incredibly well live, and it was an incredibly fun vibe to be in. And then Spoon is weirdly sexier band than I expected them to be, I think. 
there was like a really like slinky, sexy, kind of muscular feel to them as they played, and it was great fun. I wound up getting a good portion of their catalog on vinyl while we were at their show, and I play it fairly regularly around the house. It was a terrific, it was a terrific experience with a band that I mostly liked going in and then really liked coming out. And then in October, uh, at the beginning of the month, we saw new pornographers on the day that Tom Petty passed away. And that was kind of a weird show. I was in kind of a weird headspace because Tom Petty had meant a lot to me growing up. And I feel like the band were in the same boat there. And everybody was kind of out of the moment due to grief over one of our shared personal heroes. But I'm so glad that I went. I could not have asked for a better way to interact with that loss of an artist than to spend time in a room with people who love music, enjoying a band that I have seen three or four times live now and will definitely see three or four times live again going forward. The New Pornographers are one of the best bands touring Canada today. Uh, then later in the month, we had the busiest Halloween in the history of Halloweens. I didn't actually go to a Halloween party this year. We didn't do anything for the holiday because the weekend was super packed. I spent a good portion of it seeing old new wave and post-punk bands. We road tripped to Edmonton to watch Depeche Mode play. I was in the 16th row of an, in, of Edmonton's new stadium watching a band that I have tattooed on my flesh perform in support of a tremendous album. And I cried. I'm not sure that I've ever cried at a gig before, but it just felt incredibly connective. 17-year-old me would not know that adult me would have the opportunity to see them play, I don't think. And I just, it really took me back to a place where everything is possible. I don't know that I've been to a better show since possibly Bowie. Or at least I don't know that I've been to a show that has affected me more since Bowie. And that was like 15 years ago now. And then the next day we woke up and then we ate our lunch and then we drove back to Calgary in order to catch the Jesus and Mary chain playing in a much smaller venue. They were at McEwen Hall. And by the time we got back, we were so burned out. We wound up sitting at the back of the room listening to the show, but not watching all of the show. But that's cool. The Jesus and Mary Chain aren't an incredibly visual band. And they sounded great. And the vibe in the room was incredible. Like It was a much smaller, much more intimate space and a smaller, much more intimate crowd of people. And just a really fun atmosphere in which to enjoy that style of music. And then two days after that, uh, we saw Tegan and Sarah play the con acoustic and then a selection of their other songs acoustic, obviously. The con is not a long enough album to be the show all by itself. And I love Tegan and Sarah, obviously. I'm from Calgary, and they are a spectacular act to see. I am given to understand that it was a very different show than what they usually do, and I am interested in seeing what they usually do live. This was my first time seeing Tegan and Sarah play, but I really dug it. I really got a kick out of it. I thought it was just an interesting 
stripped down minimalist presentation of a suite of really strong songs, which sometimes you don't need bells and whistles. And then the last show that I saw in 2017 was Gary Newman at Commonwealth. And if you're only familiar with Gary Newman from his work in the 80s, Cars and Our Friends Electric and whatnot, he's recently settled into a really productive, almost industrial feel for a string of really strong albums. And I was thrilled to hear that he was coming to town. And I was thrilled to hear that he was playing a pretty small club, given the act. And he did not disappoint. Go check out his new record, Savage. It sounds great. I have a copy of it on vinyl, autographed by the gentleman now. Uh, if you swing by my house, I will play it for you. And that was my concert-going experience for 2017. But the main way in which the way that I interact with uh, music changed in 2017, obviously, has been this show, which I put together to find new music and to force the people around me to listen to the music that has changed who I am. And it has been very successful. I've discovered a number of new acts that I am deeply enjoying. I've very much enjoyed some of the conversations that I've had here over the course of the show. I hope that you have uh, as well, uh, listening after the fact. It has been a really fun, fruitful way for me to deepen and broaden my appreciation of art, and I'm very pleased that I did it. But really, year-in-review type things are usually presented in list form, so we're gonna run down the completely arbitrary top 10 albums released in 2017 as chosen by me, Christopher Monroe. Let's ride. At number 10, The Charlatans released a record this year, Different Days. The Charlatans are a UK-based indie group from the 90s who've had successes, for sure, but mostly they're the kind of band that's just kind of hung around. They have aligned themselves with scenes, but I think their success has come from the fact that they have existed outside of the popular scene of the moment in a way that allows them, when that scene ends, a certain longevity that other more timely groups have not had. And Different Days is a really loose, vibey, groovy, fun record that isn't really part of anything. It's really its own thing. And I think that that plays to the charlatans' greatest strength. I have loved these guys since I was listening to CJSW as a child, and it's great that they are still out there and still really good. Uh, at number nine, Stars released a record this year, There Is No Love in Fluorescent Lights. Stars are a fascinating prospect. They're an indie band with like an almost disco element, and Every record they've released since about 2005, when it comes out, I'm obsessed with it, and I listen to it for a week, two weeks, pretty uninterrupted. 
and then deep dive their whole catalog. And then a month after that, I forget how well I like this band until their next album and then the process begins anew. And it's always a weird feeling that you can enjoy a band as much as I enjoy stars and then have them kind of just vanish from your consciousness for a period and then be brought back so hard. And There Is No Love in Fluorescent Light is no different. It was such a successful record for them and I hope that they understand how well it is appreciated by their fans. And number eight, Ryan Adams uh, released a record called Prisoner this year, which is why I saw him. I'm given to understand that this is Ryan Adams' divorce record, and it is a darker tone than a lot of his previous material, but in a way that is very involving. It's very intimate. It's very personal. It invites you in and then shares with you his experiences of the past year, two years. And he is one of, I think, the best songwriters working and recording today. And this album is a really good showcase of why. At number seven, The Mountain Goats released a record called Goths this year, which I'm given to understand is autobiographical. Or I might be wrong, that, that might not be, but I, feel, I think it is John Darnielle writing about his experiences growing up. And the Mountain Goats are never not delightful. There's a, there's a sprightliness and a playfulness to what they do that really works for me. And every time they release something, I get very genuinely excited. I bring a sense of childlike wonder to listening to a new Mountain Goats record. And it has never yet failed to pay off for me. I was very pleased with this record. I took it to Vegas, and it was the main thing that I listened to while I was there. Uh, I'm going to play it, I think, today, on my way to work. At number six, Bjork released a record this year, Utopia. Bjork is one of the weirdest geniuses working in alternative music right now. I think that is a fairly safe statement for me to make. And this record is very dense. There is a lot to unpack with it. It does require a couple of repeat listenings, but once you have given it your attention, it really pays off for you. I'm not going to go really deep into my thoughts on it, because we actually have a Bjork episode scheduled in the near future. So I will talk a lot more about Bjork very soon. At number five, Charlotte Gainsbourg released a record called Rest this year. And I was very surprised by how well I liked it. It is a mix of chamber pop and electronic music, and half of it's in French. And it's not my usual thing, but... It really does hang together incredibly well. Like, it's hard to stop listening to it uh, once it's on. It really demands your attention and rewards your attention, I think. And I was very pleased to have found it. I, I bought it on a whim because basically I was there. I had a few bucks left over on a Friday and nothing 
immediately jumped out at me. But I, I, it wound up being one of my favorite records of the year. So I'm, I'm so glad that I was in the right place at the right time to buy that very right album. At number four, Morrissey released a record this year, and obviously it was going to make my top five. Uh, I could have told you that months before it came out. I have been obsessed with Morrissey for all of the days of my life. As you know, you have heard me gush about him already. Low in high school, Morrissey's been doing this thing recently where he and the producer that he's working with have expanded his palette of textures and musical styles on the records that he's making. And I'm given to understand that the reaction to this has been mixed, shall we say. I personally have found it really effective. I think it's really showcased him to show him in a bunch of different styles. Although the people who have argued that it makes for a less coherent and cohesive piece of art, I understand uh, where that's coming from, but I don't know that I agree. I think that uh, Low in High School is a terrific record. I thought that his previous one, uh, World Peace is None of Your Business, was a terrific record. Well, it still is. I could still play it. I think that Morrissey has really found a way to go forward with the style of music that he's making, which after as many years making music as he's had, has to be getting difficult. And I thought Low in High School was a more underrated record than people are giving it credit for. I live-tweeted it the night that it came out on the um, Soundtrack Cast Twitter, and it was great. It was great to see him back. At number three, the third best album of this year, Kendrick Lamar released a record called Damn and Thank You, Nikki. That's all I can say about that. I would not have listened to that had you not made me listen to that for this show. Uh, it's an incredible record. It gets me really pumped up. I have talked about it for an hour, and I'm not going to go any further than that. You've heard my opinions on Kendrick Lamar if you're listening to this. At number two, and this was difficult, Depeche Mode released a record this year called Spirit that blew me away. Depeche Mode are in the middle of a really solid creative renaissance right now, I think. Although they've never released a bad record, at some point around playing the Angel, they went from being a band who I liked, or even a band who I loved, but their albums were merely good, back to being a band that released records that would change my life. And this is definitely one of those records. It is their best since playing The Angel. It is probably their second best since Songs of Faith and Devotion. It is Chelsea's favorite Depeche Mode record, Full Stop because we got it on CD with our tickets to the show, and she played it in her car nonstop for like a month, and it is definitely the kind of record that you can play nonstop for like a month and still get things out of it. Every Depeche Mode record is good to great, and this one, I could not be more pleased that this was the tour that I finally got around to seeing them on. And the number one top album of 2017 chosen 
by me, uh, the host of this show that you've consented to watch, so you have to hear my opinion. Neil Finn put out a record called Out of Silence this year, and when I was setting up social media accounts for this show, somebody tweeted at me that Neil Finn was live streaming the recording of his new record on YouTube so that fans could follow along in real time and watch how his new work comes together. So obviously I stopped what I was doing and then I watched that for about four hours talking to other Neil Finn fans, other Crowded House fans, other Split Ends fans from around the world who were doing the same thing. There was only about like 2,000 people, 2,500 people, somewhere in there, and a chat window going where fans could talk about their relationship with Neil Finn. And it was just a fascinating way to connect with other people who love the same thing that you love as you watch a piece of art come together. And to make matters better, it is absolutely the best work that he's done in years. All Neil Finn records are great. Uh, he is one of the artists that I could listen to based on music by him that I own for 24 hours consecutively and not hear the same song twice. But this is a really gentle, moving, sincere take on the style of music that he's always made. And it very much suits him as a performer. And it's really well executed. And it's some of his strongest songwriting. I will be forcing someone to listen to Out of Silence for this show at some point going forward. It is a beautiful record, and I am thrilled to have had the opportunity to watch it be constructed. And that basically is how I interacted with music over the course of 2017. We have plans for 2018. I have a number of episodes of this show in the can that are going to be coming up that I think are really good. We have a Bjork episode coming up in a couple of days because I had to get a Bjork uh, episode up after how well I liked Utopia. We have several months of these in the can uh, waiting to go up. I have some big plans coming that I hope shake out as far as concert going goes. I'm going to continue taking the time to appreciate and interact fully with the art that has changed me because I did almost die this year and life is very short and you can't put that off. And music has always been one of the most important things in my life. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share that love with you. And that's the year in review. No conversation in this episode, obviously. We're not deep diving a record. This is just how my year went. How was yours? Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at SoundtrackCast. And tell me what your favorite record from 2017 was. Follow along at SoundtrackCast.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcatching service you're using to listen to us. Uh, rate us. Review us. It is so helpful to get reviews, you guys. You have no idea. And it just brightens up my day. Uh, we are going to be back in a couple of days to talk about the sugar cubes with one of my oldest friends. So stay tuned. That's coming. Have a great uh, rest of 2017.